We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Today's show brought to you by MyBookie. Cooley's here. I am here. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. They'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. The Eagles right now, Cooley, 11-point favorites. The total is at 43.5 on MyBookie. If you like Washington a lot to win the game, plus 425 on the money line. Uh, they're giving away free money, guys. Take it from them. Even if you've got another place to wager, you can use my bookie as a place to comparison shop on point spreads, money lines, totals, prop bets, etc. I am actually interested right now on the updated MVP odds because I would bet you that Tua Tungavailoa is in the top two or three right now. Uh, Should be. Pat Mahomes is the favorite right now, okay, overtaking Josh Allen, who's been a previous favorite. Hertz is second. Mahomes is plus 132. Hertz is plus 285. Tua is plus 510. And Josh Allen is plus 520. Tua Tungavailoa has had an unbelievable run of games. We'll talk about that coming up here. Go to mybookie.ag. For uh, the use of my promo code to match your first deposit, dollar for dollar, all the way up to a thousand bucks. So, the game of the day. How did Allen bounce that far down out of it? Sorry, but how, where did what did Allen do really to bounce out of it? Well, I think in the last two weeks, he's basically thrown just backbreaking interception inter- interceptions. I, I, I mean, he still like <laughs> still played pretty well against the Vikings. I think he played great. But he has five turnover games, five of them. That'll do it. And basically, they've cost the Bills a chance to win two games and be eight and one instead of what they are, which is six and three, and now in second place behind the Dolphins, half game back behind Tua and the Dolphins in the AFC East. Let's start, though, with the game of the day, the game of the year, really. And we're going to get to Washington, Philadelphia. We're going to preview that game coming up. We'll both have picks on the game. Uh, Monday night football tonight, obviously, um, for Washington and Philadelphia. But I want to start with yesterday because it was nice to sit back and just watch the NFL and not be, no offense to all of you who are diehard Washington fans, which I'm not a diehard anymore. I'm not. I love the NFL, and it's just nice to be able to sit back and watch 
a day full of NFL that started in the morning with the with the Tampa Seattle game in Germany, which was a great game. Minnesota Buffalo is the game of the year, one of the best regular season games really in recent memory in terms of everything that it had to it. Dallas and Green Bay in the late afternoon window. And then San Francisco Chargers last night was a good one to end the day. You sent me a picture, a beautiful picture of your brand new TV over the fireplace. It looks gorgeous. Big 80 incher, isn't it? No, 65 Oh, it was only 65? It's all there to fit. Oh, well, it looks bigger. It looks very nice. 65 is fine. So this is, uh, this is, I mean, this is going on three years. I've been here into the third year. I have not had a TV in my living room. It's a, I mean, it's been a tough debate about where you put it. Cause, I mean, it's a, it doesn't really, like, I saw logs and windows. And finally, I said, screw it. And you found a nice but spot. It was cold and I had a fire and I was like, this America. I sat on my couch all day, took my kids to the jump place on Saturday, Billings. I said, I did the dad thing. What did you do on Saturday? You took him where? (laughs) The trampoline. Had to go to Billings to go to the trampoline park. (laughs) The trampoline park. You had to drive all the way to Billings for it, huh? Hmm. Yeah, I had to go all the way to Billings. Uh, That said, did the dad thing. This is the first Sunday that I honestly, Kev, it's it's the, about the first Sunday I remember watching all three blocks of games. That's awesome. Didn't get up. So we can talk some ball today on this show. Well, it was also pretty sure cold can. in Powell, Wyoming. It's been very cold. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's winter here. I mean, it's... Winter is coming. Winter has come. <laughs> you have... Uh, you, you're going to be below zero later this week at night in November, mid-November. That's no big deal. Yeah, we're going to get really cold here, too. I mean, it was it, it's going to be really abnormally cold right through, I think, early Thanksgiving week here. I mean, temperatures, you know, in the low 40s during the day, low to mid-20s at night. Nothing for you. That's spring for you, but for us, it's chilly. Um, so <laughs> I've got a question to start then. Do you trust Kirk Cousins when they get to January in a big playoff game? It's over. He's in. You trust him. Why do you trust him? Period. The dude has come back in, what, now five, six games, down ten points? Mm-hmm. Making big plays in big situations? The biggest complaint with Kirk when he was in Washington was, situationally, he just trusted the process. Well, I think when he threw it up to Justin Jefferson, we understand that he doesn't just trust the process. He understands he's got to make a play. Well, yeah, it was fourth and 18 at the two-minute warning. I understand that, but there were a lot of situations in Washington where... Not a lot. Not a lot. There were plenty. No. Overdone. There were few. There were plenty. There were few. Just had to... He was growing as a quarterback. There was was too many. Okay. I I was as big a Kirk supporter as you. I I think I can play. You you weren't as big a Kirk supporter as I was, but you were were a big-time Kirk supporter. Yes, that's true. I still text back and forth with him. I don't know about you. I do. I actually, uh, I, I actually did before the game. I swear to God, I knew. I, I, okay. I, I told you. I thought I told you this that I reached out to him to see if he would come on the show leading into the Washington game. And I think I've mentioned this before. You know, he is very loyal to Grant Paulson at one zero six seven, the fan, because they put him on the air on a weekly basis before he ever became a starter. 
and I give him all the credit in the world. I mean, I, I've texted back and forth with Kirk over the uh, over the years that he's been in Minnesota, and I and I do like I like Kirk a lot. You know how much of a fan I am of him and how I, big I, of a mistake. But I also I I love the loyalty. I love the fact that he recognizes that station and that show host in particular just took a chance when I wasn't even a starter. Asked me to be on the show. And he said, I, I'm, I'm going to do, do Grant. And I, and I mean, I, I think he needs to know that you wanted to take that chance. You just couldn't I, get funding to do it. <laughs> well, it's not that I couldn't get funding. It, he wasn't going to cost anything. I, I think I've told this story before. I know I have on radio. If I haven't told it on the podcast, it's real simple. In the summer of 2015, before every season, our program director would come to us and say, We're, we've got a budget for a player during the course of the season. And usually, and, and so um, uh, Tommy and I were doing the show together in middays. And the guy came to us and he said, we're going to give you guys Ryan Kerrigan. And I said, I don't want Ryan Kerrigan. No offense to Ryan. He's, he's a sweetheart. He is a boring guest. I mean, he just is. And he said, you don't want Ryan Kerrigan? And I go, no, I don't. I want D'Angelo. And I remember, I said, I want D'Angelo Hall or Trent Williams. One of those two players. Because D'Angelo is really great on the air and Trent's good on the air. Their budgets are too high. They don't want to, they're not doing regular radio. And I said, I'll tell you what, then I got an idea. Go get Kirk Cousins. And our program director at the time, this guy, Dan Zampillo, who was a very short lived or short lived, however you pronounce that, um, was our program director. And he just kind of giggled and he said, What? And I said, Get me Kirk Cousins. He'll cost nothing. He's a great hedge because I think he's going to start at some point in 2015. But more importantly, he's in that quarterback room with RG3 every week. It'll be great to have his perspective on how it's going. It'll be much better than Ryan Kerrigan. And he said, nah, we're not going to do that. I said, all right, then, you know, see if you can get D'Angelo or Trent. And if you can't get them, then we won't do anybody. And so Kerrigan ended up going on with, with Coach and B. Mitch. Not Coach. Um, uh, went on with Doc and B. Mitch, I think. Because he didn't go on with you and Zabe, right? No. Yeah. I mean, Ryan was a ter- – I mean, bless his heart. He's the nicest guy. He's a terrible, terrible radio guest. I mean, boring. Never had anything to say. Right? I don't – I yeah, I – think that there are better get radio guests and obviously he chose to coach not do media so yeah. he probably understood that too but nothing nothing against Ryan it just wasn't what he wanted to do yes yeah, so anyway let me just conclude the story by saying Grant Paulson apparently had the exact same idea went to his program director Chris Kynard who is now my program tr- uh, director CK and he said, yeah, that's a great idea. And they, they not, not only did Kirk say yes, but two weeks later he was named starter for the season after they did the deal. So they had him on no, every Monday morning. Just, I, I remember that you were really frustrated because you wanted Kirk. And it would be, you were not frustrated when you started going on with Grant. You had talked to me quite a bit about it too. Yeah. And, and, and saying, like, tell him to come on with us and see, you know. I think they paid him, though, a little bit. No, no, they, they did pay him, but it was nothing. He was the backup yeah. quarterback. It, it, I mean, compared to what, you know, 
some of the big names on the team charged. And that, that's the way it works for those of you who don't know. A lot of those weekly appearances are paid. Those players are paid by the station. Now, for the coach, sometimes that's wrapped up into his contract with the radio station that hosts the game. So we were the flagship. That's why, you know, like Tommy and I did the Zorn show for a couple of years. And then Mike went on with – Mike didn't go on with anybody. Mike did not do – he decided he did not want to do it. And then Jay went on with us one year and then with Doc and Brian and then finally Zabe. I think that's the way it was. I don't know. Whatever. This is inside baseball stuff. Um, I trust Kirk Cousins, too. And I think yesterday was something that for those of us that have followed him in Minnesota – understand was not unusual now understood justin jefferson was the star of the game okay we'll get to the catch but and he might be the best receiver in football right now Um, but cousins has done this for multiple years in minnesota but it has hasn't always paid off because of kickers missing kicks or defenses giving up last second touchdowns or last second, you know, big plays in the final 30 seconds of a game. You know, they played all of these one score games last year, too. They could have very easily been an 11 win team if just the kicker made an extra point in a field goal. Um, that defense gave up a 20-yard touchdown pass to Jared Goff on the final play of the game with three seconds to go to lose a game after Kirk had brought him back and given them the lead. It happened over and over again last year, but they ended up winning eight games instead of 11. This year, they're winning all those games, and it, it's been a while since he's been the guy that is just going through the process with the game on the line. But it helps to have Justin Jefferson, doesn't it? Yeah, I, watching that game, and then I watched the condensed game again. I went through it two or three times. I don't know, Kev, how many games I've seen individually that, that, that anybody's had a better game. Than Jefferson. Uh, statistically, 10 receptions for 193 yards is a phenomenal game. They're better statistic games. But I swear to God, every catch that dude made was off the charts. <laughs> he made... It wasn't like he wasn't just open. It, it was big catch after big catch, contested catch, and big play situations. I, that might be the best individual performance I've ever seen. Really, ever seen? It was great. I mean, it's up there. I like we could probably go back through this, but in in recent, you know, in recent memory, you think of the catches this guy. I mean, seven of his ten catches were incredible. Six of them for sure. The fourth and 18, just, I mean. Was the best catch. Well, first of all, if the dude for the Bills just doesn't try to catch it, it's in completion. If he just whacks he, at he it. He aids him in, in, in the catch. He's got two hands on it. I don't know how Jefferson gets it out of, gets it out and maintains possession. But all he's got to do is whap it down. Game's over. Or you would think the game's over. But that, that was unreal that he. One that he even gets a hand up. That the whole thing was unreal. It was amazing. I can't make that catch. How I about you that? There's a lot of stuff I watch still in the NFL. Where I'm like, I can make that play, or I could do. Or I could have made that. There was that. That's above and beyond. Even 
and they consciousness for me. And it's it's it is one on one at the end, but there are other players like they know that Kirk's going to be looking for him. There's only one place to go. It's fourth and eighteen. The the game is over. If if they don't pick that up, it's over. And it was really, uh, I mean, it's that's a, that's a great throw. I thought the throw in overtime on their opening drive to Jefferson at the two yard line. Bracketed coverage, doubled, and somehow the ball landed right, up, you know, into his hands, and he gets both feet down. He he was sensational, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dismiss Kirk and say, well, he was bailed out by Justin Jefferson. Fourth and eighteen. Of course, you're gonna get bailed out. It's a throw you have to make. It doesn't matter. You're counting on getting bailed out. Yeah, of course you have to get bailed out. I mean, they're playing, you know, they're playing everybody back, and it's it's a you know it's a three percent probability play, and usually the Three percent is because there's some stupid flag, like a you know, a, like roughing the passer or something. The throw that he made in overtime to Jefferson down to the two, and the earlier throw in overtime when he got nailed and he just threw it to a spot where Jefferson was going to be. I, I think may have been the best throw he made all day. And none of this happens without Dalvin Cook going. At 27 to 10, 81 yards on one play for a touchdown against one of the two or three best defenses in the NFL. Because that game was over at that point, and Dalvin Cook injected life and a chance into that game. You know, Kirk had been very inconsistent through two bad picks in the game. Um, through one of those Kirk picks where you're like, what are you doing? Like, he threw it to the wrong team. Right. I think he thought it was his receiver out in the flat, and he just threw it, and he's like, whoop, can I pull that one back? No, I can't. Um, And then you get to Josh Allen, and I think the play that we have to spend some time talking about here, because Moose Johnston had this wrong, in my opinion. But after Kirk gets stopped on the fourth and goal, um, by the way, Dalvin Cook dropped the touchdown pass on on the offsides. Kirk was looking. He came. It was wide open. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. That would have been, you know, a touchdown there. But after they get stopped, I said to my son who was watching with me, I said, this is not over yet because they could get a safety and then they could get a punt after the safety down two with 40 seconds, 35 seconds left. And because you rarely see, I mean, the ball is at the three inch line. I mean, it is barely over the goal line in in the field of play. So now I Josh Allen has to move the ball to at least to the, to the line of scrimmage. And then Minnesota's got one timeout left. He's got to do that two times. And if not, and if it's a safety, then it's 27-25 in the punt. Before we get to how you would have handled that play, Moose Johnston is 100% wrong. He's calling for an intentional safety. No, you're only up four. You can't punt it back to them up two and lose by a field goal. They had just driven it down your throat two or three times in a row. And they've done this week in and week out. And by the way, their kicker, as bad as the kicker is, he's got a big leg. Like Joseph, the the kicker, he can kick 55, 57 yards. So uh, you agree with me that an intentional safety, which Moose was, was, was calling for, was the wrong strategy. It was a it was a, no it's it's absolutely wrong I I do agree with you it's an idiotic strategy there's no reason that you do that then when it comes to how you handle that yeah. situation I, I 
first of all, it's hard to say with Josh Allen that you don't get a quarterback sneak and just get an inch, right. or that you get out of the end zone. Right. So I don't, I don't ultimately hate that they go with the Josh Allen sneak. I, I don't think it's the worst call in the world. But that's a situation where you can also just sit back and gun and let it go high and far if you don't have anything available. Then you're going to take five or six seconds off the clock, and you're going to do that two or three times, and then you would end up punting. Or if there were holding, that you, you a safety isn't great, but you're still punting back, and they got to go make wait, play. Wait a minute, you can't do that. You, you had it right the first well, you time. You throw the ball. I mean, yeah, the, but, so but first you, of all, you, you don't want to punt. Number one. All you got to do is you got Josh Allen. You don't want to punt. You don't want to. Certainly, no. You don't want to punt from backed up. But I'm talking about the first down play. Like, and and uh, go back to like Kyle Shanahan's inch line or one yard line backed up. He always wanted to go under center play action. Always wanted to go under center play action. And I said gun, but I, I think you have an opportunity to to potentially throw the ball on first down. Okay. If you throw the Again, ball. Again, I, I, like, I think about it. I thought about it. First of all, you don't take a safety. No. That's, that's out. That's out of the a equation. Safety is, safety's terrible in that situation. Now you've, now you've put the, the, the win probability, even with the ball at the two inch yard line, is 95%. Now, you know, the only chance Minnesota has the fumble. It had to be more than that. The, the fu- okay, it's more than that. The fumble is something we've never seen happen in that situation before, ever. So I, not even thinking fumble. I was thinking because it was so close to the goal line, he can't take a knee. We know that because it's a safety if he takes no, a knee. No, if he gets pushed back at all, yeah. if he gets pushed back at all, yeah, it, then you're taking a safety seat it, there, and that's not what you want to do, especially without burning any time. If he can't get forward progress out of the end zone, then you're in trouble. But to me, they did the right thing. With Josh Allen under center, you give it to him, and you try to push him out into the field of play. Minnesota calls timeout, and maybe you gain six inches, and you do it one more time. Game over. I mean, that's the, that's the easiest way to win the game. The, no, the, no, no doubt. The shotgun no thing. I want to. I want to entertain the shotgun thing here I, for a second. Your your shotgun first I think, down. I think you're gonna. They're gonna come. They're gonna come after you. Yeah. I, I'm. I might amend. I've, I've thought about this, and I've, I've thought about this through the night. You can throw, like I trust Allen to be able to move or run. You know, like the problem is in gun. You're worried about a holding penalty because a holding penalty is a safety in that situation. Right. So, but if, you, if you're a little under center, you know, like this is a 100% certainty. Minnesota is trying to get a safety. They are coming after you. If you were to go to under center and some kind of run action and, and seven man protect or eight man protect, two man combinations, you are getting one on one on the outside. You're getting one on one on the outside with Stefan Diggs and you can throw a go ball. Or you can throw a back shoulder fade at 10 yards. Or you somehow you're going to get a zero pressure and you're going to have a quick look to Stefan Diggs. And that, the thing is, is I trust my quarterback in, in Allen, and I would trust Diggs in that situation. But again, I mean, it's just the hindsight: is, is Allen not going to get an inch? Yeah, and it, like, he's not going to fumble, right? Like he's not going to fumble. There's no way. If There's I no way in your mind, no. On a quarterback sneak, you're saying, "I hope we, I hope we get this quarterback center exchange done." <laughs> right. That, that's the one thing you're not going to say. No. What you're saying is, is there a chance that he can't make forward progress because he's going to actually take the snap, given where the ball is and where he's standing? And this is different about the the couple of inches there uh, out of the end zone. Is he's going to take the snap in the end zone, even under center? So he's going to have to push forward at least back to the line of scrimmage. 
That, to me, is 100% the right play what Buffalo did. You're not expecting a fumble there, and you're, you've got the, uh, one of the biggest quarterbacks, one of the strongest quarterbacks in the NFL, and he's going to be able to get it back to the line of scrimmage, and you're going to have to do it twice because Minnesota has one timeout left, and then you do it one more time, and then the game ends. Now, the thing that you entertain there just for a second – from the shotgun with him rolling right and trying to get something quickly to Diggs maybe, you know, in play just to get it out to like the four or five yard line, or maybe he rolls right and he's got a chance to run it himself out of the end zone. I don't know, but that gives you a little bit more room. And if first down's incomplete, you can come back to second down and do the same thing you were going to do on first down because they only have one timeout right. left. They're sitting there with one timeout. Yeah, exactly. So you could do that on first down. You could. But you just introduced something, and that's holding. I mean, what are the chances you're going to get holding on a play that isn't a true drop back where you don't really, you're, you know, you're trying to get something quick to digs, you know, in man coverage just to get it out to the, you know, four or five yard line. I don't know what it is, but, but they, I, to me, they did the right thing. It's just the, the most incredible I, I, result to a play. He did, he did not execute the receiving of the ball. The center got really pushed back and it was, a, it was really amazing to see that play happen. How many times as football fans, when a team goes into you know the kneel down situation, and this was not a kneel down situation because if he knelt down, it was going to be a safety. You're like, oh, maybe they'll just fumble the center. And it's never happened. Never. You've got to go back to the miracle of the metal lamp, yeah, John McVay. But that was a handoff. That wasn't a kneel down. That created. I understand that. Yeah. But, in that but that's when they started just kneeling it. Yeah, exactly. It That's... never happened. No. You know what's amazing, too? It's like the two worst quarterback sneaks in a, in the, in a row. Do you know Kirk's been a very good QB sneak, sneak QB, uh, quarterback in Minnesota. He's been very good. I, I Very good after Jay Gruden said he can't sneak the ball. We are not going to sneak it with him. Yeah, he's been good in you know, Minnesota. I'm, so I, I'm just sitting here looking at this play one more time, too. You know the, one, the other mistake? There two, there's, another, there's two other things that I think about this play, if you're going to sneak it. One, I'm not bringing all my receivers down tight to the line of scrimmage. Like you spread them out in the corner. Spread them out. I mean, you just you're just giving them an opportunity to condense the box and just jam it in there. You're giving them opportunities to bring linebackers tight and just pack it in. So if there was a fumble, I mean, you got way more Viking players around the ball. So at least get your wide receivers split out wide, like you might throw go balls. Two, uh, this is an ideal situation. One, go hard count, hard count, hard count, and take a delay a game or a false start. You're not moving back anywhere. Great point. So, you know, this is this is a great opportunity to go double cadence and hard two and hard three. And who cares if you take a delay? Oh a game my god, that, that's that's br- that's brilliant. Over. That's that's what they should have done because these guys are so eager to jump it to get him for a safety it's probably it's probably like 3 to 1 a 1 in 3 chance you're going to get him to jump if not if not even money no and it doesn't it, i mean it really didn't seem like in that situation no. they made any effort to draw them off sides great point that would have been the play yeah who cares if you take a delay game it can't the ball can't be moved back any further Right. Who cares if your guy jumps off sides? He can't be moved back any further. Right. But to, to, to your other point, too, if you spread the field and you get Minnesota's 11 spread out, and maybe then you only have seven or eight there, it makes it a little bit easier. I would have never turned and handed the ball to a running back in the backfield. I would have never done that. 
obviously, because that introduces so many possibilities. Safety, bad fumble because of a great pressure, you know, whatever. Um, the, the, the shotgun first down, you know, where you've got somebody, you've got a receiver and man coverage, and maybe you can get a throw out to the five yard line. And then it's a knee, uh, after the next snap that, you know, I'm less, the, the, the drawing off sides is the number one thing that they should have tried to do hundred percent. They should have tried to do that. They should have spread them out more. They, again, they have an opportunity to throw the ball and win the game on first down. I mean, the, because Minnesota. The one thing is, if you don't get it and you sneak it to the one, then you have two sneaks. But essentially, you're going to have two sneaks anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, still, you go, like, you circle back to this and you go, Josh Allen's still going to get an inch. And they're going to take their time out, and then we're going to get one more inch from the game. Definitely. I just, he's 6'5 six, like, he's six, and 240 pounds, and he's physical as a runner. Yeah, but I mean, if you are going to throw, I mean, they're going to go through this all day. If you are, if you are going to throw it in that situation, at least you trust Allen not to take a sack there. You, you trust that Allen's going to do something, move out of the side of the pocket. I mean, but I promise the one thing they think about when they're throwing, especially gun, they they just don't want a holding on first down. Right. All that said, nobody's taking an intentional safety. That's an, that's an idiotic idea. Idiotic idea, ridiculous idea. I was watching it in real time, and that was like, uh, are you serious? Yeah, I mean. Are you going to punt the ball to them with one timeout? I mean, maybe if they burn the timeout, you can put the ball to them with one timeout, they're going to get the ball somewhere around the 35, 30, 35 yards, yeah, maybe you're, further. You're, you're two completions away you're from field goal range. To, you're asking to lose the game. Yeah, and that's it. It's a field goal to, to, to beat you, 28-27. Because it's 27-25 at that point. You know, the intentional safety really only works, you know, score-wise with 40 seconds to go when you're when you're up six. When you're up six and then the lead goes to up four, there's no difference between up six and up four other than they have to make the extra point, which, by the way, the Minnesota kicker missed in the game on the touchdown that made it 27-23. It's his fourth missed PAT of the year. Um and then, uh, you know, but, you no, know, you're, you're up four. You can't make it a two-point game with 40 seconds to go. That was asinine to talk about. What did you see on the interception at the end? The pick at the end, I, I think that he's late on it. He double-hitched it. He double-hitched so, it a little bit. So, so I think he's late on it. And I just think, well, I think there's two, two parts to this pick, really. Uh, one... If you're running that dig route, also this is the exact. Remember the Russell Wilson pick when they lost the game, like the Thursday night game at the end of the game. He threw the same ball on the same route. Oh right, yeah. You got like you. If you're a receiver, you can't allow that ball to get undercut. You have to come out hard and flat, and at least be breaking that thing up. But I, I don't think he expects Peterson to undercut it. I, I, I it's not a coverage. Like when you have one dude cover, it's, it's covering the outside receiver, and then it's not somebody jump, a linebacker from underneath that he didn't see, or a safety driving on it that he didn't see. You're late, or the ball, or or the receiver allows it to be undercut, and I think both of those things happened. How about his first interception? It's fourth down and two. You can kick for thirty to seventeen. You're in the fourth quarter. That forces two touchdowns to beat you. And by the way, 
you know, at that point, Minnesota had the 81-yard touchdown run. Now, they had some good drives in the first half, and then Kirk threw a couple of picks, and they scored on the opening uh, drive of the game on a touchdown pass to Jefferson. But I I swear to God, I don't have the data here because I didn't go do it. But all weekend long, I can't tell you how many, and we'll get to the Dallas-Green Bay game, how many fourth and twos, fourth and threes, fourth and fours in field goal range I watched this weekend that didn't make it. I bet you that the fourth down percentages on fourth and three, fourth, fourth, two, fourth, three, fourth, four took a big hit this weekend. It seemed like every game I watched, somebody was going for a fourth down instead of taking three. Somebody tweeted this out, and I don't know who it was. Somebody tweeted out, have we gotten to the point where just teams don't think three points is worth anything? And in the NFL, yeah, they, I literally thought that. Well, that that was I thought that was insane that they went for that, and then he threw the interception. It was fourth and two. You've got I'm looking at it right now ten and a half to go up twenty seven seventeen. You kick. You're up thirty to seventeen. They've got to score two touchdowns. And by the way, they haven't stopped you really all game. Instead, he throws the pick and it gets returned, and now all of a sudden it's actually a game. Um. You, I, yeah, I mean, you know, so I think he's trying to make a play. What he so he ends up rolling right. He's got nothing, and he he knows it's fourth down. Yeah, uh, you're not going to throw it out of the back of the end zone. So he tries to fit one in the back corner, and it's undercut by Peters. Peterson sitting in front of it. Like that would have been have to be the most perfect touch ball over Peterson's head. To, it's going to be incomplete. But you just kicked the field goal. Just kick the field goal. There's just not a question in my mind. You, you kick the field goal. And the other crazy thing going up 13 is not like kickers miss a lot of PATs, but they sure miss a lot more than they used to. I mean, it's a lot more common now. It's not a given that if they score two touchdowns that they go up 14 or they go up by a point. Plus, you're Buffalo. You're the Buffalo Bills, and the Minnesota Vikings defense is not an elite defense. No. So you're saying that if we go up 13, that, that's, that's our last score? We just got to hold them? No. I'm going up 13 right there. No questions at all. What was the game? There, there was a game recently, and I want to say it was Baltimore. I think it was it Baltimore. It was Baltimore and Lamar Jackson threw a pick. Yeah, and, and we both said, here's the problem with throwing a pick there. If you're going to go for it you know, inside the other team's 10, you certainly don't want to give him the ball at the 20-yard line or beyond on a return. I mean, he returned it after the 40-yard line. It's like, especially when you're Buffalo and you've got that crowd, if you turn it over there, make them make them play from deep in their own territory at their 7-yard line with that crowd and see if they can go 93 yards. It's a throwing we really the- got to like, We really got to sit down and start talking to all these coaches and coordinators and quarterbacks. Hey, when we do go for it on 4th and 2, instead of take the field goal, don't throw a pick. Just don't throw a pick. Throw it out of the back. Yeah. Don't throw a pick. Like I know that you, you know that an incompletion is also no point. But we'd rather have them here on the two yard line. Yeah. Wow. The pick's bad. It's still really bad here. So there was some real shitty um, booth replay uh, officiating in this game yesterday. For those of you that don't know. Oh um, in in uh, in overtime, when Minnesota got the ball down on that Kirk Cousins to Jefferson throw to the two-yard line, on first and goal, Cook gets blown up in the backfield for a minus three-yard loss. There were 12 men on the field. 
in overtime, there's no challenges. It's, it all comes from the booth. At the end of regulation, when Buffalo got in field goal range to tie, the 20-yard pass to Gabe Davis, and he makes a, a really nice effort, and he ends up out of bounds, but clearly the ball moves, hits the ground, and they never replayed it. Now, I'm not saying that Buffalo can't complete a pass on the next play and end up with a long field goal attempt, but if this replay system, you know, the New York thing or however that's being handled in overtime and in the final two minutes, you got to be all over that. You can't get quick snapped by the other team when there's clearly a reason to look at that throw. Clearly a reason to look at that throw. So the Vikings survived two horrible missed, uh, you know, booth replay um, opportunities really, really bad um, by uh, by the opponent. But that was it's a great football game. It's funny because Minnesota has won seven straight games by one score or less. Three of them they've been down by ten in the fourth quarter and rallied. Um, five of them uh, overall now they've rallied from a deficit in the fourth quarter to win. And I'm telling you, Cooley, they have a couple of issues on that team. They have interior O-line issues. Defensively, I don't think they're that great, but they have been able to create the turnover. Um, I just think that they're not as good now as they're going to be at the end of the year offensively. I still think that there is so much more ceiling offensively uh, that they have not hit. And I'll tell you, this game Sunday against Dallas and Minnesota late in the afternoon – what a heavyweight matchup that is in the NFC in November. I mean, that's a, another big test for them. And with that, I mean, let me just let me let me close on Minnesota Buffalo this way. Have you lost confidence in Buffalo being a legitimate Super Bowl contender? No, none. They're awesome. I haven't either. Have you? I mean, look at. Look, I haven't. That defense is. Is is unbelievable. It's a great Minnesota's defense. Minnesota's terrific on offense, and they have a ton of playmakers. No, I haven't lost any confidence. I think Josh Allen's still Josh Allen. I, I, if they could run the ball a little bit more at times, I think they would be the, uh, potentially a better football team. By the way, like you say, Josh Allen is just, like the couple runs he made late in that game to give him a chance. Like he made two runs in overtime to give him a chance. <laughs> Incredible runs. Like he. Like, he had, 80, he had 84 guy. yards rushing. But, but he had 45 on two runs in overtime. In overtime. Who like, is this dude? He's really good. He's he, unbelievable. So no, I haven't lost any confidence whatsoever in Buffalo. And you look at their D-line in the front and some of the stuff in the back end of it, and you know, Buffalo's solid. Yeah, I mean. They're hard, they're hard tough, tough out for anybody. I mean, then. Other than about six teams, they're going to roll anyone they play. They lost Micah Hyde for the year. They're going to get Tredavious White and Jordan Poyer back. I think that they, they've missed some pieces defensively in recent weeks. Here's the one thing, though, about Buffalo, and I don't think there's any other way to describe him. Josh Allen is just super aggressive in the way he plays, and I would never, ever tell him to back off of that, ever. I mean, it'd be nice on the fourth and two if you if, if, if look if you don't have anything, throw the incomplete pass. Let's let him start at the seven. Don't throw a pick, or you know, on first and second and ten, we've got a field goal to tie, and there's still game left. You don't you know, but I would never take away his aggressiveness because it's it's his aggressiveness that makes him so great. Um, they but but I can see a situation where his aggressiveness does cost him a chance to win a playoff game. But I also think that that aggressiveness is what gives him a chance to win the whole thing. 
You know, there's there's huge there's risk with him. Do you know nobody's thrown more interceptions in the fourth quarter or overtime apparently since the beginning of the 21 season than Josh Allen. At the same time, you know, their three losses are a two-point loss to Miami in that 99 or 110-degree day, the three-point loss to the Jets last week, and a three-point loss to the Vikings. Now, I, they can win on the road, don't get me wrong, but the division now, they got. I mean, we were looking at them as being home field throughout, and now, you know, it may be Kansas City given that division they're in, which is brutal. The Dolphins are good, the Jets are good, and the Patriots are good, and they still have games against all three of those teams left. And, by the way, they still play um, the Bengals. So, you know, they may, lo- they may lose a couple more games, and it may give Kansas City the AFC Championship game at Arrowhead, unless Miami beats them. But before we get to, to the rest of the AFC, I just wanted to ask you about the Cowboys – Packers game. So they're up 14. Rodgers brings them back. There's a decision by McCarthy at the end, which we'll get to here in a moment. But the first question is this. Do you put Dallas's loss yesterday on Prescott? Through a couple bad picks. Yep. Couldn't make a play to, to, to extend, I, I mean, do to, I, to extend do the game at the Prescott, end. Or you put it on McCarthy for going for it on fourth down? Well, I want to get to that in a moment, but I want to ask you about Dak. How much better are they with Dak than they were with Cooper Rush? Serious question. They're better. How much better? I'm not sure. And also, the thing with Dak is he's got like you, you got to remember what he was the first four or five games last year before the injury, and the fact that he's already had to miss four games this year. Uh, he's going to get back into a rhythm. I think Dak's capable of playing at a pretty high level as of right now. I don't I don't think they're dynamically better. He's got five touchdowns, three picks in the two games uh, that he's been back. Um I look, I'm I'm not a massive Prescott fan. Like I've not and I've talked about this in the last couple of years. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback. I definitely think he's a top half of the league starting quarterback. But when I've seen him ranked like 8th, ninth, 10th, no. I don't put him that high. I put much more of this on Kellen Moore their offensive coordinator. Dallas threw the ball 46 times, ran it 31. They had 77 snaps from scrimmage. They averaged 5.1 yards a carry with Pollard. And then this guy, Malik Davis, who, to be honest Davis with you, was good too. I, yeah, I, I didn't even know who he was. And they've got him back there. And yet they constantly are throwing the football with Prescott. With Cooper Rush, they were much more balanced. They, 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 the stuff that they threw was a lot of play action off of the running. I just think that that's who Dallas has to be. I think Dallas has to be a run first team, not a Dak Prescott throw first team. And I think if they do that, they're really, really good. The other issue with Dallas is they've given up to a lot, as good as they are defensively as a pass rush team, they have all of a sudden give up a, given up a bunch of yards on the ground. And what we saw from the Packers yesterday, I think, is almost what the Cowboys should be offensively. And that is, for the Packers, for them to succeed, they've got to be run first with Jones and Dillon. And then run all of this, you know, the, the marrying of the, of, the, of the pass game, of the play action and boot game, to the run game in, in the LaFleur, you know, Shanahan scheme. And they, got, they were that yesterday. They ran it 40 times and threw it 20. Two to one run run to pass ratio. 
Joe and ran for 207 yards against that Cowboy defense. Last week, Justin Fields, or two weeks ago when they played Justin Fields, uh, the Bears had 240 yards on the ground. So the Cowboys actually have a flaw defensively right now, which is run-stopping, and they, they, I think Kellen Moore calls way too many passes. That's what I would suggest if I were a Cowboy fan in, uh, in my calls to talk shows in Dallas. I think Dallas has thrown the ball too much over the last four years. Watching Dallas, they, it's amazing. I mean, this year it's a lot the same, but over the last three or four years, it's Ezekiel Elliott for six yards, Ezekiel Elliott for five yards, Ezekiel Elliott for three yards, and then they're throwing it. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Killing them on the ground. The other thing, I, I think it might have been a little bit more difficult a couple of years ago when you have – Amari Cooper and CD Lamb and Michael Gallup and a ton of a ton of receivers. They have CD Lamb. Dalton Schultz is an okay tight end. That's it. Yeah, I mean they, they don't have a dynamic group of receivers right now that they can throw the True. ball to. True. And if you look at like statistically week in and week out, Gallup makes the Gallup's having a really disappointing year. But beyond that, there's nobody. So the. Uh, I think I understand who you are. And to me, that's exactly what Green Bay is doing. Is, uh, we don't have any receivers. And, yes, Aaron Rodgers, we know you're amazing. But, like, one, these guys haven't gotten open as much. They're dropping balls. They're making mistakes. Let's just go. Let's give it to Aaron Jones 24 times. And let's give it to Dylan another 10 or 15 times. And then all of a sudden, this dude, this dude Watson's going to be wide open. He's got to catch it. Which he didn't do early in the season. Right. <laughs> Watson had a, an amazing game against Dallas. No, I, I think Green Bay is is figuring out that they had to be more balanced, or they had to. Actually, it's the opposite, really, with Green Bay. They should be sit, They should be predominantly run in early down distances. But it, to me, Dallas is the same thing. And like, I know Zeke was out this game, but Tony Pollard's one of the best ten backs in the league. He's really good. He's, and it's debatable when Zeke wants to be or when he's playing at a level that he's capable of playing at, then he's one of the best 10 backs in the league. So th- they should each have 15-plus touches a game. What did you make and of Dallas, the- Dallas is not good at playing the run, or they're not good at playing the run because they don't want to play the run. Those dudes want to play the pass. So I would ask you about the Packers in particular. They clearly, for the moment, saved their season because three and seven they're not coming back from. Now they're four and six with like this m- formula for scoring 31 points when they could only score nine last week against the worst defensive team in the league, uh, Detroit. They play Tennessee Thursday night at Lambeau. Did you see something that says the Packers still have life and could make a run? The rest of the way. Let me give you their next games. Tennessee, then at Philly, all right, at Chicago, Rams at Miami, Minnesota, Detroit to finish it out. So they have for seven games left through 10 on the season, seven games left. They would have to win five of the seven to get to nine and eight to have any sort of shot at, at getting a wild card. That's my guess. Nine, it's going to take nine wins. I know I said last week maybe eight gets you in. It's going to take nine wins. 
so did, what did you see? Did you see well, a team capable of doing that? Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers can beat anybody, and I think that Green Bay is capable on defense. They're they're a really good defense. If if they can really continue to run the ball, there's somewhat of a formula. I just think it's really interesting. Again, like going back to Rodgers, they asked him why he was so upset, and he said just every single play call, probably. <laughs> so there's a huge disconnect right now with their head coach and play caller and their quarterback. Did you see him where, yelling where at LaFleur? Really interesting right now. It's like I, I think Matt, yeah, he was screaming I think LaFleur's almost got to be in, in a lot of situations. He's just got to defer to Rodgers. Because if they don't make the playoffs, I think LaFleur's out, which, uh, which makes it really tough. You, like you're, hand, you're handcuffing your head coach and your play caller for Aaron Rodgers. So they're, like, they're just, yes, I think that they're a capable team, but I think they're a team that's had way too much drama throughout the year. To have any cohesion. Fourth and three in overtime. The Cowboys are at the Green Bay 35. That's easy. It's not easy, but it's field goal range for Brett Maher. And McCarthy goes for it and they miss it. What would you have done there? The 53 yard field goal. Yep. I'm kicking the field goal. Yeah. I think these fourth and threes are getting treated these days like they're fourth and ones. These fourth and threes, fourth (laughs) and fours, fourth and fives. They get treated like they're fourth I, I, and ones. Did it, what, what happened? Because McCarthy throws his headset. And he, he was, so normally when a coach throws his headset like that, there's something that happened on the play that it, it should have been there. I, like someone made a mistake. I think what he was really pissed about was the holding penalty on the big run or like two or three plays beforehand. That guy Malik Davis had a run up the middle for like 16, 17 yards, and there was a holding penalty, and he was incensed at that call. And that that has it was the, called on the center, and it wasn't it wasn't holding. Yeah, and the ball was down to like the twenty yard line or close to it. And then they was got, it Greg Olson calling the game? Yeah, Olson was calling the was game. Olson Olsen was saying, "Wow, that's a really good call for that official to see it from back there." Like that's a terrible call. Not holding in the NFL. He, I think that's. So, yeah, I think that's yeah, what he was pissed at. Being incensed, being incensed about a holding call three plays before is not going to do you any favors when you've got a judgment call on fourth and three. I, I, the only way I wouldn't kick it is if I just actually thought in Lambeau Field, fifty-three yards, it was less than a seventy percent probability. He said it was on the edge after the game, but that's not what they were saying during the broadcast. They said that 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 the range was a little bit further than that, and that it was within range. Yards was yeah. And the, the other thing he was upset at was the third and three before the fourth and three, he thought C.D. Lamb got interfered with. And there was definitely some contact. But they were letting everything go in that game. Seemingly, uh, it's, they seemed to be letting a lot go in that game. They let a lot go. I think they let a lot I, uh, I actually like letting more go. Me too. The air. Me too. But, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think he was incensed that, somebody, that there was something available in the play. For Dak, it's interesting to want, want to watch, and for Dak or for someone messed up, something happened. <sighs> I mean, once Dak left the pocket, it was over. I mean, when you watch it and you're watching on TV, you're like, "That's the that's a dog shit play call." But that doesn't mean that it played out the way he wanted it to. Yeah, because on that drive, they had been running the football right down the field. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the play by play. There were a couple throws. There was one to Lamb, one to to Pollard out of the backfield. 
Um, but yeah, uh, and then third and one, Aaron Rodgers finds Lazard, and they're in field goal range. By the way, just to do our our game management stuff here, clock management stuff, you know, in overtime, um, Gr- Green Bay uh, first and goal to Dallas seven. Um, Mason Crosby had just knuckled through an extra point that barely made it uh, a little while earlier. There's like three and a half to go in overtime. I think I'm just running my offense carefully. I'm not going to take any risks here. They chose to have Aaron Rodgers move back to the middle of the field and take a knee and bring the field goal team out on second down. The only problem I have with that is that there are three minutes to go, and if he knuckles one and hits the upright, Dallas now has the ball and a chance to win. If anything, I'm at least going to run more time off the clock or as much time as I can off the clock. Crosby's not been a a totally reliable kicker. Sometimes in the clutch I think he is, but uh, that extra point, I think it was the, the extra point on the first touchdown in the fourth quarter, it barely, barely made it over. Uh, but anyway, just... Uh, I thought the same thing as I was watching the game, and like you go down and just kick a field goal. But I thought the same thing. is If something happens, why do you want to give them enough time on the back end of this? Right. I mean, at least make them, make time, at least make them call their timeouts. If they're going to. Yeah. I mean... I mean, like, like, and this is like the old school world is, well, you got to kick, if you're going to kick, you kick a... You at least say fourth down if you had a fumbled snap or something. Third down, you but mean. no one fumbles a snap yeah. except for Josh Allen. Third down, you, you <laughs> kick it on third down so you you avoid the you know kick the it on third yeah, down. Yeah, not on second. I wouldn't kick but it on second. Who's to say you don't just pop a good run? It's over. Exactly. No, I I don't know. I'm, I'm the probability of a missed field goal to me is much higher than a fumble on a run play. Yeah, I mean, it is a 26-yard field goal or whatever. I mean, I think it turned out to be a 27 or 28-yard. Yeah, no, it, 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 I mean, yeah. it, it should be a chip shot. But. Yeah, it is. By the way, you just – Whatever, re- they made it. You're, you reminded me of something. I saw it three or four times this weekend. I saw it in the uh, Arkansas-LSU game. I saw it in so, somewhere else. Brian Kelly did this for LSU. It, it just It's funny to me, but it's typical of, of these situations that we've talked about many times. So you're in the lead, okay, and you are trying to run as much clock. Like there's like a 12-second differential, okay, uh, between the play clock and the, uh, the game clock. And you see the coach, and you're going to punt the ball. It's fourth down upcoming, and you're going to punt the ball. Um, and you see the coach walk over to the referee and call a timeout with one second left on the play clock. And I just – I just always laugh, and I, I don't think it's—I don't think they think about this. But you're going to punt it anyway from midfield. What, what take the five yards and and take the second? Because why do you want to keep? Why do you want to call a timeout there? What if the one second is the one last play they get? Because you're going to punt it anyway. It doesn't matter. You just want as much clock. But you know what happens is. Coaches see so often, ah, oh, there he is. He's, he's, sat, he's, he's getting up next to the official. He's going to call timeout with one second left on the play clock. And they just think, well, that's what you do in any situation. No, in a lot of those situations, it's better to take to delay a game penalty in the extra second off the clock. I, just, I saw that like twice this weekend, and I just made a note of it. Once was with Brian Kelly um, when they were up late against, um, against Arkansas. 
And it's like you're gonna they're at midfield. They're actually, I think, almost in Arkansas territory. And it's like, no, 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 just let the last second, because what if they get a big play and there's like instead of the clock saying zero, 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 it says one second left, and then they get one more chance at it. Anyway. Okay. Okay. I, I wouldn't take the, I'd take the delay game too. I just don't think I've thought too much about the one second left. <laughs> I know. They're gonna I manage know. the game I know. differently. But if I were but if I were working if I were working for you as your as your clock management guy and I said that to you, you'd be like, see, he's all over it. He's got all those situations. We're not gonna have yeah, a coach. I, I, want the, I want the extra I want the extra timeout. So if they do happen to get into some drive where they start getting the ball down the field, then I can take I can let them line up, show their formation, time time out. Okay. Change your play or we have an idea of what you're in. Next time there's a different the third down timeout like why would you waste the timeout what did you so back to Tua for a second because that's where we started the conversation let me just give everybody Tua's statistics here over his last four games all right in his last four games he's throwing he's averaging 74 percent pass completion percentage 330 yards a game, 10 touchdowns, no picks, and he's only been sacked twice. His QBRs in the last three games, 93-3-80 and 93-7. He just set, listen to this, his passer rating in the last three, 138.7, 135.7, yesterday 135.0. There's been one quarterback in the history of the National Football League to go three consecutive games with a passer rating of 135 or better. Do you know who that quarterback is? Tua Tungavailoa. Now, really? I understand that he's got Waddle and Hill and now Mostert and Jeff Wilson, and they've got a good defense. I understand all that. He was mocked early in the season. Can't throw the deep ball. Waddle has to wait. They've got to come back for it every time he throws the deep ball. Watch how quickly he is as a decision maker and how quickly the ball is out of his hands. Short throws, medium throws. I mean, how much of that is him, and how much of it is Waddle and Hill? I think you got to ask one more question. What? How much of it is Mike McDaniel? Because I watched a lot of his game, and I've watched quite a bit of the Dolphins going in this year, and some of what Mike McDaniel's doing reminds me a lot of what McVay did early as a play caller with the Rams. Is He is constantly moving his backs, tight ends, motions, manipulating the first 30 to 40 seconds, of every play clock, so he gets the quarterback into decisive reads and looks that he wants. I mean, he's doing a phenomenal job with pre-snap and uh, essentially you know, undressing defense for Tua before the ball's even snapped. And it, th- th- a ton of it is also Tariq Hill and Waddle. And I've, I've said this about Tariq Hill especially, and I think this goes back to when he was with Alex Smith. It makes a huge difference if you're decisive when your receivers are blazing fast, and you can immediately know win or no win. Uh, it doesn't take long to decide if Tariq Hill is going to win or not win, or Waddle is going to win or not win. So I, I think you take those two things into account, but then you don't take anything away from Tua because he's making those plays. He's making those throws, he's making those reads. He's really surrounded by a great group with, I think, not just receivers, but also, like, with Gasecki and Wilson, like you said, and Mostert's, still, Mostert's there. But he's also got a, a great staff around him, and they're 
they've really, to me, done what a coach should do and say, who are we and how do we design our offense around who we are? So I think there's a ton of good stuff with Miami right now. I mean, do you think even for a second, and I agree with you, there's a lot around him, um, but do you think even for a second that you reconsider Herbert and Tua now in the 2019, in the 2019, 2020 draft? The thing is, is they're not drafted that far apart. I know. Tua got, and, pick, and no, Tua got I, picked before Justin Herbert. So, I mean. I still think, yeah. I still think, I mean, you watched the game last night and the Chargers couldn't move the ball really well, but he's, like, Herbert's got nobody to throw it to. Well, at Williams and, and Allen are out. That game early. He's got no receivers, yeah. and he's still making plays and throws down the field I and agree. moving. and like Herbert's still. I'm not taking anything away from Herbert. So I, what I think is right now both teams are glad with the picks and where they took them. And I'll bet you neither team would swap them. Listen, I'll bet you right now that they wouldn't trade each other for the other quarterback. Miami has a bye week coming up, then they're at Houston, but then listen to this. At San Francisco, Mike McDaniel against Kyle, his mentor. Uh, and then the following week, it's Tua against Herbert. They play at the Chargers, and then they play the rematch against the Bills. Then they got the Packers, Patriots, and Jets to finish up. Um We'll, we'll know a lot more about them. I'll, I'll tell you what, right now they can score with anybody in the league. That's the thing that's been so impressive about them is they can just flat-out score and move the football at will. I know that you know the Lions, Bears, and Browns aren't great, understood, uh, but they're an explosive team. Um, they've won four in a row in the game. Speed that, is huge. What would you say? I said speed is just so huge. I'm going to build a speed team right now in the NFL, build it around speed. Uh, anything else from the NFL you want to talk about? Brady, did you watch him yesterday morning? They ran the football. Yeah, I, I, I watched Brady. He looked good through a crazy pick late. I mean, was, the funny thing about that game, I that's a great game to bet on always, in my opinion, because Seattle's got to go to Germany and play a 7 o'clock game, which is a 6 o'clock game for them. I know that they went on Wednesday, but that's a long trip, buddy. Taking Tampa all day in that one, uh, and Tampa is an interesting team. I mean, they're probably going to win the division, which is the worst division ever. <laughs> but Tampa is an interesting team. I thought Bray looked better. Um, I still, I'm, I'm amazed that they're not a juggernaut with Mike Evans and Julio Jones and well, Fournette got hurt. Who's the, they have one of the other receivers? Phenomenal too. They have three big time receivers, decent tight ends. I'm amazed that they're not better. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um, what else did I have? Oh, I had two other things I want to talk about. What? This was quick. I think so. I, I watched the end of the Broncos game and a lot of the Broncos game. One thing I watch: the, the Russell Wilson has no juice. He's not Russell Wilson in the pocket anymore. It's really interesting. There's no urgency from Russell Wilson in the pocket. I, I, I'm not sure where where that goes. I mean. Denver's essentially dead this year, and that looks bad right now. But then the other thing from this game that I, I jotted down, Russell Wilson throws a pick at the end of the game, and Terrence Mitchell downs it on the one. Dude from Tennessee, the Titans down it on the one. And they they literally had to do the same thing the Bills did. <laughs> they did. Take a snap, 
did quarterbacks think from the one yard line? Like, hey, if you're a DB, uh, why don't you just run it out to the seven? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After pick. Yeah. I didn't see that. That's um, funny. Denver's defense is really now, good. I mean, yeah, really good. Uh, Jeff Saturday, that was awesome. I, I love that Saturday got a win. They played the Raiders. It, the Raiders are potentially the worst team in the league. I mean, McDaniel might be one and done. But Jeff Saturday, I'm thoroughly amazed at the criticism of Jeff Saturday. Now, I understand it from coaches. Like I, I get it. Like Bill Cower was incredibly upset. He, he was a coach. Um uh, Ryan was had some harsh criticisms of Saturday. Ryan who? Uh, but, uh, Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan. Was okay. Harsh on Saturday. Yeah. Joe Thomas was incredibly tough yeah, on right. Saturday. I, I did like, see that. This is a, this is an abomination. Why isn't it? I watched the Thursday press conference and I actually loved what Ursay said. And the amazing thing about the hiring of Saturday, and it's not he's an interim coach. It's not like he's guaranteed that he's going to be the guy. But and you know why I like this. Because I like that former players that haven't coached can coach. Right. The, the, the amazing thing is like the, the higher, like Deion Sanders. Oh, that's a, that, who does that Saturday. But Ursay came out and said something that I love. He said, "I've been around this for a long time," and I'm paraphrasing. But these coaches are all afraid. They're all afraid. They're they're so concerned about analytics. They don't want to lose their job. Every decision is not just a, a feel for your team and the right decision. And it's so true. They're afraid of who they're hiring. They're afraid of how they're managing their team. They're afraid of what they're... Jeff Saturday comes into Indy. He's like, yeah, uh, Matt Ryan, you're back in. Hey, we're going to play physical football. We're going to play tougher than the other. Coaching is not as crazy as you think it is. And what Ursay said was actually so incredibly true. So many of these guys are afraid. I, I think Saturday, I think it was awesome. Um, who knows how it will play out for Saturday? Well, so the and I'm sure he's sitting there with a the headset, and but like, um, don't really know. I mean, he's evaluated them all, but if that's a big step for him. He'll get better. Jeff Saturday is going to do a great job for them. My bet. So the criticism was, you know, based on their guys out there that have paid their dues, you know, and then you know, I don't care. And by the way, the whole idea that you know this would only happen with a white guy, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that that injected into the conversation as well. I said this. I think I said this to Tommy. I forget. Um, I think it was on the podcast. You know what? It, the owner. He's the owner. He can do whatever the hell he wants. He owns the team, and he has done what he's wanted to do here recently. Um, he was the one that benched, you know, Matt Ryan and, you know, started Sam Ehlinger. I, I've, I've been re- seeing things from various reporters around Indianapolis that Frank Reich basically on his way out said out loud for everybody to hear as he was walking out of the building, thank God, like he was thrilled that it was finally over with Ursay. I watched the press conference too. Now, I did not watch it last week, but I watched it Saturday morning. Because somebody said, you just have to watch his press conference. It's a long press conference. First of all, Ursay's impacted by something. I don't know if it's alcohol or weed or whatever. Um, I think he came off as incredibly... Well, let me just say this. He was shooting from the hip. There was nothing planned with his comments. Agreed. 
So, um, which, which is fine, which is fine. And he wasn't prepared really for any of the questions. He was just, he was essentially saying, you know, really, you, you, you bet against him. You bet against Jeff Saturday. You see, you, you'll see. I mean, the laughing during that press conference, I thought he was hammered personally, but I also thought, you know, look, it's, it's, it's his team. He's frustrated. And he knows this guy. You know, the one thing I learned from the press conference that was not something that was reported a lot last week, Jeff Saturday's been a paid consultant for a few years now. He's been working with Chris Ballard. He's been working with Frank Reich. He's been working with Jim Irsay as a paid consultant to that organization for a few years now. I, I was kind of under the impression that basically he's just doing his ESPN stuff and, and Ursay calls him up and says, hey, we haven't talked in a little while. You want to coach my team starting tomorrow? No, they, they actually do talk. Now, they don't talk a lot about the head coaching job, um, but apparently it's been that consulting relationship that has really built up incredible sort of trust and you know has really wowed both Ballard and Ursay is working with Saturday in that role over the last couple of years. I did not know that until I watched um, the press conference. I I have no idea if Saturday is going to do well or not, but I'll tell you what, as somebody who I, 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 I bet the Colts over this year at nine and a half, and I thought Matt Ryan would do very well with this team. I really did. I, I did not think he was shot. I did not think he was physically shot when watching him last year. And I thought, you know, a, a better offensive line, Jonathan Taylor, a good defense, a well-coached team, you know, he's going to thrive. And they, he, he made that decision apparently on Saturday. Like, that, it was a surprise to everybody that Matt Ryan was in the starting lineup. And Ryan played great. I watched the, on, the, on the red zone. Did you see on the, on the game-winning touchdown drive? He had a 40-yard scramble. He scrambled for 39. Was it 39? It was 39? Well, they said it was 40 on the, on the, on the thing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was 39? It wasn't 40? I mean, that's what they said. They I mean, seriously. I mean, Green calling it. I'm not sure I had a longer run than that. You're going to nitpick me over a second. You're going to nitpick me over a second on the play clock, and then you're going to get after me well, for 40, one yard. Forty plus goes into a forty plus goes into a stat category. What does forty plus yard play? Oh, it does. Okay, forty plus yard play goes into a special category. Well, so does thirty. No, I, it, it, those, so does thirty plus. Um, Anyway, he almost scored. <laughs> he he looked like he was going to run out of bounds, and then he cut it back up. It was great, um, but they got you know they got 147 yards from Taylor, and they got 21 out of 28 from Ryan for 200 and something yards, and they they won a game over. I mean, the, the poor Raiders. Derek Carr was crying in his post game press conference. That was that was a D performance, staggering around, swaying side to side. Talking about how hard it is to come to practice. Like, come on. <laughs> okay. I like Derek. You know I like Carr, but that was like, suck it out, dude. Yeah. Yeah, you, you do like Carr, though. You always have. Uh, the Colts play the Eagles next Sunday at uh, in Indianapolis. Um, bigger test for them, uh, for sure. All right, let's get to – you have anything else on the NFL? I, nothing important. All right, let's get to Washington and Philadelphia right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Much appreciated the five-star ratings and the reviews you've been writing on Apple. All right. Uh, kickoff tonight, 815, 820, whatever. Philadelphia, an 11-point favorite. Uh, you can start. What do you think happens tonight? I think they can win. It is a really good defense. Like Washington is turning into a very good defense. Uh, their front four has been outstanding. The pressure's been better over the last month or six weeks. They're actually getting a lot more pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Jamin Davis is playing much better football. Benjamin St. Juice is going to be able to play big time against a big time receiver. And I, I think if they can find a way to score some points and stay balanced on offense and keep this game close, they'll have an opportunity to win this game in the fourth quarter. I think they can win this game. I mean, Heineke's got to be good. You can't, we can't be throwing high balls to the middle of the field to the other team like you did against the Minnesota Vikings. I did watch that finally. Um, so no stupid turnovers would be really critical. I mean, you turn it over, you turn it over, but let's not give them turnovers. You got to stay balanced. You got to run the ball. I, I think against against Philly, they're going to play a ton of light box, like a, that three three defense, and they'll change it up to a four. Sometimes like what looks like a four one, and bring a, a nickel guy in the box. So there are tons of opportunities to run the ball in nickel situations. You got two backs that are capable of doing it. Logan Thomas is back. You can get some run action stuff. And some, I think, some shots into the middle of the field, and really attack that defense in the middle of the field. You don't want to attack Philly on the outside. Darius Slay and Bradbury are both really good corners, so I don't think you're taking a ton of shots outside. But you run the ball, you attack the middle of the field, find a way to move it and get some points. And, and honestly, I think that they're going to be able to stop Philly more than more than people expect. I, I, Hertz has been really, really good this year, and, and he's really evolved to. Like, if you watch the last six games, you don't look at him like, ah, oh, man, this guy's, we got to really worry about the run, which you still do, but you got to worry about him throwing it. You, you said about the opener, um, I'm paraphrasing here, and I didn't go back and listen to that podcast, but you said, what are they doing? Like, this was a game that you were critical of just the overall scheme. You know, they were dropping back Carson Wentz. He got sacked nine times and they're, you know, they were facing that three-man front where three-man front where Reddick would walk up, you know, to the line of scrimmage and you just said you got to run the football, you know, against that. And Philadelphia's given up some rushing days um here. Uh they running back last week for Houston, the, the, just the sensational rookie Damian Pierce had 139 yards on 27 carries. He went for 5.1 yards per carry. 
Um, I think, you know, number, number one overall – is Philadelphia's plus 15 in the turnover margin. Okay, they lead the league in takeaways with 18. They are number one in the turnover margin, and the next best is plus eight. And Washington's 27th at plus four. And Washington only has seven takeaways this year, and two of them were in special teams muffed punts. If you turn the ball over against Philadelphia, it's going to be a rout, an absolute two-touchdown or more blowout. I actually think Washington can't win this game unless they get plus two or better in the turnover margin category. So I know that that is super cliche and a keys to a game, but Philadelphia has lived off of short fields and off of you know a, a very high turnover margin. Um, and they're 8-0, not just because of that, but a big part is that in terms of you know not having a ton of close games. You know, they pulled away from Houston. They, they crushed Pitt, uh, Pittsburgh. They were all over Dallas in the first half. Um, and obviously Washington, Wentz turned it over early in, in what turned out to be a 24-point second quarter, and that was it. You can't turn it over. Secondly, I do think they can run the football tonight, and I want it to be Antonio Gibson, Cooley. I, I'm, I'm not down on Brian Robinson Jr. Okay, obviously he had a late start because of the tra- near tragedy or before the season started. I have seen a lot of good rookie running backs around the league that have been better running backs so far. But again, he's a late, you know, he's late in getting started. To me, he runs too upright. I don't know if we've talked about this or not. I don't like his running style. Maybe they can switch that. Um, I don't think he runs with a lot of feel or vision, and I think Gibson does now. And so I'd like to see Gibson get a chance to be the thumper and the guy in space. I don't, I don't need to just see him, you know, like they, they, they're very focused on, well, we, we've got Antonio now in the area in which he's really, really good, which is in space. I think he's really good in space too. I also think he's really good between the tackles. I think he's one of the three or four best players on the team. And in a game tonight on the road on Monday Night Football where you want to keep the ball away from the other team where you really can't trust your quarterback. Okay, no offense, but you can't really trust Taylor Heineke to drop back and get it done. I want to run Antonio Gibson 20 times tonight. Certainly, I want to see him get 20 touches. If some of those plays are just run extension throws like they had against Indy, that's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, And then they've got to be great on defense like they have been recently. This has been one of the best defensive teams over the last six weeks. They've been the number two rush defense in the NFL, and they're the only team this year that shut Philly down offensively. They had some big plays in that second quarter. Philly averaged 2.4 yards per rush against them, had 72 yards rushing against Washington when when they had a big lead, too. And they were trying to run the ball. And so this is a team that's fifth in the league overall at 150, nearly 150 yards per game. I think Payne and Allen and Sweat and Davis and Curl and St. Juice, it's too bad Cole Holcomb's not out there. I think they're going to miss him, especially with Goddard. Hawkinson had nine catches last week, I think in part because Holcomb was gone, and he's not going to be there again tonight. Um, I... I think you you don't turn it over, you run the football a little bit and you play the kind of defense you've been playing that this is like a you know this is a 21-17 game one way or the other going into the fourth quarter. You know, maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's something like, you know, 17-14 going into the fourth quarter with a chance. I don't think they'll win the game tonight, but I think it's a, I think it's a team that's been playing pretty 
good football on defense and seemed to have the answer for Philadelphia the first go-round. Now, again, against this team, it's a fine line, man. It is a small little window here into competing. I mean, you you really do have to sort of uh, you know uh, hit the inside straight. You can't turn it over. You got to run it a little bit. You got to ball control it. You got to, st- but I you know you're not going to get explosive plays against Philadelphia. You can give up explosive plays for sure. But I you know I, I'm not going to bet the game because it doesn't fit the way I bet. The action's pretty split. But if you told me I had to wager on this game, I'd probably take the 11 and bet Washington tonight. No, I feel you. To make your turnover thing a little less cliche, you really have to win the field position battle by quite a bit. So if you could get turnovers on their side of the field and shorten fields and get field goals and not have to drive it against this defense, then you're in a ton better shape. Uh, so I, I, when I'm with you, like you, like you just, I don't see them taking it 80 yards or 80 or 75 yards and scoring a bunch of points. Not that they can't happen, but I see it as more of a short field game. I, I, you know, and it, we've talked about this a lot too. And when you know that you're playing a team that, that outmatches you talent wise, you, you have to have patience and you have to slow the game down. You have to limit possessions, and you have to make the most of your possessions. So I, I think if they have patience, they continue to run the football throughout and take shots when they get shots, they'll be in really good shape. I mean, almost like in the, they're not the 49ers in terms of running the ball, but if you watch that game last night, once you got into the third quarter, the game was over. San Francisco was still down, but their defense was enough that the Chargers weren't really going to score, and they could not stop the run. No. So in San Francisco, just didn't kill themselves. And they just kept taking seven, eight, nine-yard carries. And I think if you continue to pound it against Philly and you're in this game, you can get some of those. Maybe not seven, eight, nine, but you can get four, five, and six, and you got to continue to pound the ball. I actually agree with you on Gibson, but I, I'm going to take it a step further. And I think your your counterpart to Gibson is more McKissick. Like I'd like to see McKissick have more carries in this game than Robinson. Well, he, he's and not. I like he, he's not going to because he's out. Oh, McKissick is out. Yeah, he's I been out. Saw yeah. That. I actually saw that he was not going to be back in this game. Right. But to me, if they can stay somewhat balanced in this game, they'll be in good shape. The other thing, going back to the last game and what Philly's really thrived on is they get big plays. You can't give up big plays. You, you might there might be a couple, but you can't lose the game on five big plays. And this might be this would this would be the case. I think if they lose this game, they're going to turn around and they're going to say, "Well, we played them great, except for like the 260 yards, which accounted for four touchdowns in <laughs> six plays." I, but but I think the thing that you said is 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 another. Uh, I, I I think it's so crucial, and that is offensively. If you don't take it, you know, from your own twenty-five yard line after the opening kickoff or after a punt that goes into the own, into the end zone from your own twenty, and you don't take it the distance and get points, you've got to take four to five minutes off the clock and make two to three first downs and flip the field. And I think that field position will be a big deal. It's a really, really good point. They had, you know, in that game um, against Washington, they only had one really long drive, and they had this super short drive after the after. The uh, Wentz, uh, Wentz fumble, right? Fumble or interception, whatever it was. Um, and Philadelphia has thrived on short fields because of turnovers. And so you can't give that. 
to him. You, but you can't do it at the expense of going three and out either. You've got to you got to make some plays. Like down and distance will be crucial tonight because I don't Heineke just can't. And most quarterbacks can't. I have to say that every time I say something negative about Heineke because there's so many of you out there that listen and you're, you're so sensitive. But his best chance, like a lot of quarterbacks in the league, is third and threes, you know, third and fours, third and twos. Put him into that position and then, you know, churn, you know, three times 40 seconds more. You know, another, you know, another potential two minutes off the clock, you know, and make another first down. And if it doesn't end up in points, that's okay. You're keeping the ball away from Philadelphia and you're making them go long distances. It's sometimes a three and out deep in your own territory is almost like a turnover because by the time they touch the ball after the punt, it's near midfield. So I, I you don't rocket a punt. It's exactly what it is. Although their punt is really the field. good. Yeah. I know. But if you don't flip the field, it is a three and out can be a lot like a turnover. Yeah. Like, especially if. Philly scores and they they kick it off and you run it back to the 16 yard line. You go three and out and they get the ball and they're on 48. It may as well have been a pick. Yeah. I, and the other thing, so in watching some of the Minnesota game too, like you can utilize Heineke as a runner. He can run some zone read stuff. You can mix in mm. three or four Heineke runs out of zone read stuff, especially with white box situations. Hey, Heineke has the ability to make a spin move and make a guy miss in space. He might turn a two-yard run or a three-yard run into seven. Uh, and, and again, I still think they got to change the location of where Heineke's throwing the ball. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be a ton of boot stuff, but you can do short, short sprint out. You can move him. You can go with outside run action and, and set him up, you know, four yards wider than where he's normally at. But they have to really think about where Heineke's best in throwing the ball and what he's going to do best in this game. And Well, you're hitting a nerve. Yeah, you, you, you don't want third and eight, and you don't want to throw it to the outside. To me, you don't want, you don't want third and longs, and you don't want to be throwing – you want to be throwing as little as you can to the perimeter on the football field. You want second and six attacking the middle of the field with some run action stuff where you can stay completely balanced in second and six. You're hitting so a guess, nerve. Yeah, short field – you're hitting a nerve with a lot of people, and that is the Scott Turner nerve, which we did talk about, I think, on Friday's podcast. You know, all of the reasons that they're not, you know, running more bootleg and, and you know, they're, they're in shotgun too much. And, you know, th- there was some zone read in the game last week. There was some RPO stuff where he made a bad decision on, on an RPO where he had a screen to Gibson, should have thrown the screen. But this is the, the, the nerve where it says, you know, for the, for the Heineke people, Scott Turner's the problem. It's not Taylor Heineke. They have not tailored the offense to utilize his greatest strength, which is, which really are his legs and his mobility. And I do, I, I kind of agree with that. I would have much more dual threat stuff into the game. But that's also an offense that you know you would have been putting together in the off season for a quarterback that 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 needs to play that way. You didn't do that. You put a, you put together your offense for Fitzpatrick in twenty twenty one and for Wentz in twenty twenty two, and unfortunately both of them got hurt, and uh, and so you've got this guy running the offense. I mean, I don't know. Well, do you, some of it's game specific to what Philly is. Do you want to let your quarterback sit at eight yards? No, I don't. I want to run. We, the, we I, I want to run that the, last time they played. 
I want to I want to run the football and then I want to I want to play action hopefully on second and five occasionally back actually no on second and five this week I want to keep running it until they stop me from running it um, but I but if I but if I run it twice for a first down then on first and ten I'd like to play action and and probably take a shot. But but you know every once in a while, but hopefully throw underneath to Samuel. By the way, I want to see Curtis Samuel used in the backfield as a runner. He had one carry last week for 16 yards. Every single time he's in the backfield and runs it, something good happens. I would use him more as a runner. You know it's crazy if you watch the 49ers game last night. Well, two two things from this, but one that's relatable. Uh, they went Debo. with that inside zone run play stiff the fullback like 11 times in the fourth quarter. You know, when things work and they're not stopping them, you you can go back to it. <laughs> you you don't have to call every play in your playbook. I mean, when Samuel's effective back there and when it's manipulating the defense and he's getting yards, you can go back to that and you can build off of that. That's another thing I'd like to see Scott Turner do. And, and I think this goes back to the – actually, this goes back to the early Philly game was when they went forward to a side, you got Terry McLaurin direct one-on-one coverage to the other side. When they went trips with the running back flipped over to the trip side, you got great matchups with McLaurin. Like you go back to things that work. Go back to concepts. And it's not, I'm not just talking about, like, let's run the same play over and over and over. But go back to formations and concepts that work. Like, you don't have to continue to set them up. If they're working, they're working. And there's a reason. So, I think, yeah, this, this will have to – Scott Turner will have to do a good job in this game for them to, to be able to win. All right, let's, big game for Turner. Let's get to our predictions right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Really appreciate those Apple um, podcast reviews that are coming in in the five-star ratings. Uh, very, very appreciative of those. Um, reports just out a little while ago, the team is not activating Chase Young off the IR for, t- for tonight's game. Uh, apparently, according to Rappaport, he's close to being ready. There's a real chance he makes his debut next week if all goes well at practice this week. Dotson is going to play uh, tonight, according to uh, all of the beat reporters. Some other news real quickly. Jeff Bezos um, was on CNN, or CNN reported r- recently reported that Bezos and Jay-Z are in talks. Um, but during an interview on Saturday uh, that I think was on 
um, CNN, Jeff Bezos said uh, about the speculation that he was going to buy the team. He said, yes, I've heard that buzz, closed quote. Um, And then the second part was, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and I played football growing up as a kid. It's my favorite sport, so we'll just have to wait and see, closed quote. Uh, Lastly, how about this from Alex Smith, who's on the Monday night team, uh, Monday night pregame show. Alex Smith on the ESPN Daily Pod. I don't know if this was from today or yesterday or the weekend. On Washington, he said, quote, I've never seen a place where the distractions come from the other side of the building, closed quote. And then the other one was FedEx Field is probably the worst game day experience in the country, closed quote. God, when people say that, I know they're right. They're 100% right about the game day experience. It just hurts me so much that there is a generation, you're part of this, that have no idea that there was a time in which the toughest place to play in the NFL was Washington for an opposing team. And it was one of the great home field, home court, home ice advantages in all of sports. And now it's the biggest joke in all of sports. But things change in life. Yeah, and I, I would say, like, if you're a diehard, don't blame Alex Smith for saying it. No, he's it wasn't the true. worst game day experience, and it wasn't the worst game day experience when I was playing. True, it got the 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 turn of it was really the Pittsburgh. Was it a Monday night game against Pittsburgh? Where yep. they, they terrible thousand. <clears throat> yep, with terrible thousand. That was the turn of it, and then then there was a Philly Monday night game that was horrendous. And but the first four or five years that I was there, it was not. It was one of the, it was a good experience. I would say that. I always thought it was a good experience as a player. It got it, it changed later in my career, and that was really more like team dependent. If it was Philly or Pittsburgh, there were too many Philly Pittsburgh fans. But we also there's an idea of why that was. And right. It was, right. Well. Well. You, but, but but now the RG three year was the great. The RG three year was great. So some of the 2015, the there were some gr- really good crowds for that playoff season. That that Packers playoff game. I mean, there were some Packer fans there, but that was a great crowd that night. I watched that was that, an amazing crowd. Watch that game with you. But don't booth. blame Alex Smith for saying something that's true. Right. It is the worst right. But now. man, you know what? He hates this place. Boy, did he leave in a bitter way. He, I mean, no one ever leaves this place and likes it. And um, let me just let me just put the the kibosh on this conversation right now because it's going to turn into some headline and I don't need it to turn into a headline with you. But let's just say that most people when they leave don't like this place. And Alex Smith has been very vocal about not liking it since he left. All right. Uh, well, and if you want it to not be a headline, where it's really been the worst game day experience is what everyone said is I wasn't. I haven't been there to witness it. <laughs> right. I've been there in three years. No, no, you haven't been. So, there. yeah. <clears throat> so okay. uh, all I'm hearing is from you, who circle circling all the way back to the initial part of our podcast. You, you're still a diehard. I know you say you're not, but no. you're the only one that calls me with news. You talk about this team more than probably I'm, I'm, anybody I'm not else. A, in no, you're wrong. I'm not a diehard fan anymore. And you I'm not. I've never missed one second of the game. So it's because I, it's my I job. Mean, one way it's because not. it's my job now. Yeah, well, it's much. It's a, it, it used to be much. No, I'm not a diehard die anymore. Die hard. Not a diehard anymore. I really am not. 
I mean, I, I've well, known this for, I've, I've known this and felt this for a few years. We'll see what happens if Dan sells the team. You're, you're hard. You're a hardcore. No hardcore interest. <laughs> it's not. Yep. It's not. You know. It, my mind on that. And you know it's not. So I don't even know why you're doing this. You know it's not hardcore. Man. Um, what's your prediction on the game today? What's your prediction? I think Washington wins the game. So describe it. How does it happen? I think that they take. I, I think they kick a couple field goals early in this game. Somehow Heineke gets a touchdown to, in the in the third quarter to go up to to be down thirteen seventeen. They score another yeah. touch touchdown. They miss an extra point. They win twenty to seventeen until they can't finish it. Hold on for a second. First of all. You read the score like my wife would read it, thirteen to seventeen. You don't do that again. Secondly, I know. I secondly, know. Uh, if, if they if they're down seventeen to thirteen and they, they they score but they don't get the extra point, the final score would be nineteen to seventeen. You're right. You're right. Nineteen seventeen. That's the final score. Okay. Poor math. Poor distribution. Washington wins by two points. All right, I I have I have Philadelphia thirty one to twenty, but I think going into the fourth quarter, it's going to be. It's going to be like a 17 to th- what did you say 17 13? I think it's going to be like a 13 to 17 game <laughs> in the fourth quarter heading into the fourth quarter. Washington is going to be in the game to, uh, and the score is going to be 13 to 17. And Philadelphia is going to get some sort of big turnover to set up a touchdown in the fourth quarter. They'll get one more. Washington will score 31 to 20 is the final score tonight. Philadelphia like wins by 11. Which is the number, which means it's a push. I don't like the game either way, really. But I think it's going to be a competitive game through three, you know, quarters into the fourth quarter. I just, I could, I could easily like see, you know, number four making a, a a a big mistake in the fourth quarter to sort of get them off track of having a chance to win the game. Thirty-one well, to twenty. Surprised if that happens. You know why I do the score the wrong way? I, I know why I do the score the wrong way. Because I was taught like adamantly by my my mother. When we're playing ping pong, it's it's thirteen serving right. seventeen. Yeah, well, that's a, that's yeah, your this isn't tennis or ping pong, yeah. no. No, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's football. It's football. It's team sport. So I've gotten better. Don't do it as often. I apologize to you and to all of your listeners. I'm going to try to never make that mistake again. Are you going to watch a game tonight? Yeah, I got a TV in the living room, man, just for this stuff. Okay, so then we can talk on Wednesday Big. and break down the game and film and stuff. Because I'm going to tell you right now, yeah, if they lose, if, if they lose, normal, back to a normal schedule. If, if we're back on schedule, if they lose tonight and Heineke doesn't play well, the conversation all week will be Wentz, and on Wednesday we'll probably have the answer as to whether or not they're going back to Wentz against Houston. My prediction is they're going to end up going back to Wentz for Houston if he's healthy. I don't know if he's completely healthy yet. If he is, that's what I think will happen. All right, uh, good job out of you today. Uh, I will talk to you on Wednesday. Thanks for having me. Yep. I'll be back tomorrow with a game recap. Enjoy the game. Diehards. Bye. Kirk Cousins back to throw on fourth and 18. He's given time. He wants Jefferson. Climbs the ladder. Oh, my goodness. Justin Jefferson pulled it in. The catch of his life.